Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back. I'm Carl Mack and this is Combat Chronicles. You may be wondering where the regular feed has been for a couple of weeks. As I always say, if you want to keep up to date with everything Combat Chronicles related, head on over to Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Combat Chronicles. Be over there for a little while. So uh, back today because there's a, a big fight to talk about and there's a big moment to talk about this past weekend. No, it's uh, not Johnny Eblen, although everyone's saying, look, Bellator finally got a guy that could win the title in the UFC. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, we finally found the guy that's had the most favourable stylistic matchup possible. What I would suggest is, you know, get him to fight Robert Whitaker in a number one contenders matchup first, and that's suddenly a moot point. Um, but, of course, talking about Fedor and Milinenko, um, firm favourite for a very long time, finally retiring after a second loss to Ryan Bader in the first round. And, quite frankly, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, at CombatCR, if you don't, um, you already know that I was predicting this to be completely depressing. Didn't see any reason to think, outside of a Hail Mary, that... Uh, Fedor would have a better chance of winning this time and uh, yeah quite frankly um, a sad way for him to go out but there's loads of things to talk about Fedor Milinenko and I just want to talk about what he means to me as a fighter what he means to MMA as a fighter and also some little interesting quirks that maybe we don't talk about too often as a matter of fact let's talk about those interesting quirks straight away because you know I think what everyone sort of realised over the years is that Fedor isn't actually that big heavyweight he never was in his prime um he certainly doesn't appear to be nowadays. I mean, you see him stood next to Chuck Liddell. I know Chuck's big and, and burly in his post-retirement days, but he looks massive compared to Fedor. The Hoist Gracie's taller than him, for fuck's sake. Josh Barnett looked gargantuan next to him. These are, you know, obviously contemporaries in terms of time. Um, Chuck Liddell could have easily fought heavyweight, but was a light heavyweight. Hoist Gracie fought at uh, open weight, but, you know, he made, I think, did he fight Matt Hughes at 175 as catch weight? But let's be honest. <laughs> well, he's crazy. Was, uh, you know, he, he weighed around 175 for most of his fights. But, I mean, I don't even want to think about putting him in modern context. Maybe that's a conversation for another time. But not a big guy. I know height isn't everything either. But he just, you know, he looked like, Fadal just looked like a, a fat, smaller guy compared to him. Fadal, yes, in his prime, stronger, burlier, thicker, you know, he had bigger traps, he had bigger chest, um, bigger back. Certainly post-Pride, I'm not saying anything, but he just sort of become a bit podgy. And what's really strange about Fedor, as I'm going off a tangent here, is in his prime, cross-trained a lot, you know, went out to Holland to try and better his skill set, trained with Ernesto Hust and others. And, you know, definitely strike force onwards. 
just appeared to be a lot more one route, you know, swinging for the fences, not using his grappling. When was the last time we saw Fedor sub someone off his back or something? You know what I mean? Like, you just don't really see it anymore. Didn't really have the hips he used to have. Didn't have that explosiveness. Just a different fighter. Um, obviously, still had hand speed, still powerful, chin eroded over the years. And, you know, we saw a vastly different fighter. But, you know, just seeing him against his, his, his contemporaries from other weight classes, well, you realise he's not that big. And I think that's interesting when you're trying to evaluate him as a heavyweight. I've never thought that the the hypothetical matchup was Fayadol versus common, uh, sorry, modern UFC heavyweight champions. You know, maybe Steve would be interesting. I think certainly uh, if you're looking at him against someone like Francis Ngannou, it's tough. Just too big. You say, oh, Hongman Chor was big. Zuluzino was big. Brett Rogers was big. Come on now. Big and good is what I mean. But of course, if you're rating Fedor as a heavyweight great, you do have to compare him to heavyweights. But certainly, he's kind of in this kind of weird... I guess the fighter I compare him to is Rocky Marciano. Don't rank... It's this really weird, anomalous fighter where the heavyweight rankings don't really matter. But like by virtue of being... A heavyweight and fighting who he did at heavyweight almost has like more of a pound for pound ranking. Let me try and explain myself better here. If a if a heavyweight isn't in the top ten heavyweights, then certainly you're not going to rank him over other heavyweights as a pound for pound fighter because you know you're based on your contemporaries. There isn't that sort of weight hopping thing that's uh, important in that regard. But, you know, Rocky Marciano didn't really beat great heavyweights, but he beat some like sort of great pound for pounders. You know. Beating Ezra Charles a couple of times is important. Jersey Joe Walcott, whilst definitely a, a peripherally great heavyweight and certainly great to look at, not really got the size of something that you would sort of uh, that you would want for someone as a great heavyweight scalp. Fair all, you know, he's beating heavyweights whilst really being a bit of a podgy light heavyweight. Certainly not in his absolute prime, but for some of his time. I mean, Ryan Bader looks bigger than him. He's a former light heavyweight, and he's exactly got massive since his 205 days. Always thought that, the point I'm trying to make is that Fayadol versus John Jones was the big hypothetical. But when you look at Fayadol, you just wonder, you know, I think Alex Pereira will look massive compared to him. Not that big a guy. And uh, I think that's important when you evaluate how good he was at heavyweight for that amount of time. That's the point I'm trying to make. Okay, you might not favourably pick him against some of the great heavyweights that have come after him. Like Cain Velasquez, obviously you give Fado like a punch's chance, and but you just think maybe he might get grounded and stifled and battered. Um, and Ganu might just bop him, you know. But when you're ranking him as a great heavyweight, you're also taking into account the fact that he did it as you know not the biggest guy. That's important. It's kind of like pound for pound credentials as a heavyweight, which is rare, obviously. It's got like Sam Langford, great heavyweight, but you also take into account that. He was smaller than a lot of his peers. So yeah, tangent complete, but essentially I have made the case before that Fedor is still the greatest heavyweight of all time. And as I say, given who he beat, how he beat him, one of the great pound-for-pound fighters. Now, when you look at ranking greats, I don't just say, you know, who did he beat, how did he beat him, and when did he beat him, but that how, how did they beat him? That's important when you're ranking pound-for-pound greats. And I think, you know, with Fedor, you know, to beat, to jump into a grappler's wheelhouse and beat him, to take on a great striker and beat him in striking. This is what's really important. It is those Noguera and Crocot fights that are so important. 
yes, Mark Coleman's past his best, but also pretty awful top control guy and Fedor's tapping him off his bay. You know, this is impressive. No one's going to think, oh, Gower is all that great at MMA, but when Olympic judoka gets thrown with a counter throw by the Russian Sambist, just shows you, you know, Fedor was good at beating you, whatever your skill, in your skill. That's what I find so amazing. Still breathtaking to this day. That's important for me when evaluating how great a fighter is. Let's just look at, you know, the composite parts and make up Fedor Milenko as a fighter. Ridiculously fast hands, brutal puncher. I think it took people a while to realise how powerful a puncher Fedor was because, you know, when he took the soccer kicks out, suddenly he had to start relying on the punching more. But, you know, even when you think of that, you know, think of a great soccer kick performance, say the Gary Goodridge one. You see them punches he sends into the body and they sound like someone getting run over. Like, ludicrous amount of punching power and talk and it's just a pure hand speed for such a big fella. Really, really ridiculous stuff. Um, so resilient, whether it was in grappling situations, whether it was getting clipped by Fujita and, and coming back. It's just that split second you see where he realises his limitations and steadies himself. His body's given up on him but Fadal's head is still clear. Just great trait on a fighter whether it's waiting out Mark Hunt's Americana attempt you know whether it's and I've got to mention it of course probably are we saying it's the most iconic moment in the history of mixed martial arts where Randleman dumps him on his head is that the most iconic moment in mixed martial arts history it's definitely got a claim for it I think Joe Saldo running into the crowd after Nian Chad Mendes I think of Conor McGregor knocking out Joe Saldo as well um, is there a John Jones moment? Is there a GSP moment? Those are just you know great fighters. Um, you know certainly a fight we're going to be talking about later that might provide one of those moments. But Fedor getting dumped on his head by Randleman, given what transpired afterwards, it's got to be up there. I've said before about you know separating good from great, and you know great. There's got to be some sort of narrative. There's got to be. There's got to be something else there, you know. That Roundingman performance. I know you might, a newer fan might go, oh, maybe maybe someone who's listening to this podcast more of a boxing guy might look at it and go, oh, who's this Roundingman? Look him up and see how many losses he's got and go, well, ain't that impressive. And, you know, he's coming off losses and blah, 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 blah. Well, he's coming off annihilating Crow Cop. He's probably, if not, I would say Yao Romero, but certainly... Randleman has a case of being, to this day, Deontay Wilder insert, to this day, the greatest athlete in history of mixed martial arts. And, you know, Randleman hot and cold, yes. How much was that was due to Japanese uh, influence and pride? I don't know. But certainly there are some blatant losses that are clear. There's nothing wrong with them. But he had a lot of talent. And that win for Fedor was very, very impressive, given the fact that Randleman was coming off the best win and performance of his career against Mirko Krokop. So yeah, these are all moments that just make Fedor so compelling as a fighter. And when I think about what he means to me as a fighter, you know, I've said before, you know, I got into MMA in about 1999 in terms of my first exposure to mixed martial arts and being a fan of it and reading about it. I read about, you know, K1 and Pride in the uh, the sort of pro wrestling mag, like Power Slam, for instance, that. Let us all know that pro wrestling was fake. And they would cover MMA as well. Mouts has always covered MMA since the 90s as well because they sort of go hand in hand. More on that on other shows. But, you know, that's a fact. So that's when I first got into it. 
That's when I first became compelled with it. But certainly outside of UFC and some Heroes events and the Odd Pride event. I didn't get into MMA in terms of knowing... Obviously, I knew a fade on Milenko was, but I wasn't a massive fan of it until probably near the tail end of Pride. Maybe 2005. Certainly didn't see the random fight live. We didn't. It was difficult back then. You'd get streams if you were lucky after the fact. I mean, torrents. Not streams, torrents. Um, DVD trading, that sort of thing. But, you know, definitely didn't get to see Fedor in his uh, bang in his prime. That was in my sort of mid-teen years. So I was talking sort of, what, 2002? So sort of 14 to 16. That's when Fedor was banging his prime in, in pride. Got to see some of it, sure. Uh, the Affliction days, great. Strike Force, that's great, but Brett Rogers was a banger, you know, and it's a shame he never got the Lesnar fight. I think that would even make Fedor even bigger legend, or actually, given the time it took place, might actually be an, a really vital loss. You know, it was such a big event. That's the difference between losing a Brock Lesnar and losing a Bigfoot, like he did. You know, losing a Bigfoot, yeah, it's bad, but you can kind of you just sort of draw a line under it. It's not a massive event like losing a Brock Lesnar would have been, but. Yeah, you know, that's what Fedor meant to me at that time. I was, you know, sort of into him, got to see some of him, but didn't get to see all of his prime. But then you go into the back catalogue, probably got into the back catalogue about 2007, 2008, something like that. Um, you know, once it was just easier to buy like a DVD career set. That's what you should do then. You didn't go on YouTube. You'd see clips on YouTube, absolutely. But you'd go and buy DVD box sets from some fella on, on online. And... Uh, you pay power over your money, they turn up, and you just go in this back catalogue. There was rings, there was Pride, there was Inoki Bumie, there was all this stuff. And you just watch it and see this guy and go, I've never seen a fighting machine like this. There's something about Fedor Milenko in his prime. These kind of cat like reflexes, ability to turn a fight in his head in a split second. It's a real rare, rare thing. You'd think, given all the mixed martial artists we'd seen now, that we'd see something more impressive. But there's something about a big fella like that doing it to bigger fellas. There's something about like the the third Nogueira fight when he's just dumping him on his ass on the regular, just just chucking him around. Something about that. There's something about him drawing out Crow Cop's leads, defending his kicks and countering him, pushing him back to the ropes. There's something about Fedor being able to. Jump into Noguera's guard in the first fight, pound away. It's not about him just walking up Zulu Zeno, just twatting him and batting him in 20 seconds. You know, it's not about him walking up Hongman Choi and fucking tapping him with that armbar. There's just something about it. Yes, okay. It's like that meme online where you show, you know, Hill, no reaction. Hill in Japan. Oh my god. It's something about the whole, as I spoke about on the podcast many times before, regarding, you know, the whole sort of pomp and circumstance, I suppose, if that's the uh, the the right term, but of Japanese combat sports, that elevates somewhat. Yes, there is. It makes it somewhat cooler. The fact Fedor's doing it on such a big stage is just sort of testament to his quality as a fighter. So, yeah, if I don't think Fedor's maybe the best head-to-head heavyweight of all time, the fact that he was so head-to-head, uh, sort of impenetrable against who he did fight, that's enough for me. Yes, he will be overtaken by heavyweights, and he already has been to some extent. But it's so great about him that's hard to put, uh, sort of put into words. I hope I'm encapsulating that. But there's a sign about a prime Fedor Milenko as a fighter. There really is. I guess you know, Ali fans would have said they weren't that sold on Joe Lewis's concrete feet when they watched tape of him. But 
you watch Joe Lewis, you go, that's the greatest puncher of all time right there. Where Fedor Milenko, there's something about him as a mixed martial artist, his kind of all-terrain style. And I'm sure people will say, well, you know, give me a controlling wrestler any day. But, you know, there's just something about him, I don't know, it's hard to put into words. It's not just bias or fandom. It's just, you watch him and just moves in a certain way, just does things in a certain way, just lets his hands go in a certain way, sweeps people a certain way, taps people a certain way. It's just, there's this kind of innate killer instinct in him that was just so brilliant to watch. And I think it's that killer instinct match with how sort of stoic his appearance was that made him such a compelling and easy-to-like fighter. I guess if I'm trying to sort of talk my feelings out, trying to pinpoint why I love Fedor so much, I guess that's why. But I did write uh, an essay on Fedor uh, a couple of years back for a site I used to write for called thefightsite.com. So if you just search Kyle McLaughlin uh, Fedor or Kyle Fedor Fight Site, something like that, I mean, the good man in me could just drop the link in the description. I guess I should do that. Um, You know, send some traffic over there. But just so you can sort of see, for the uninitiated, why Fedor's career was so important. And for those that are already fans of his, maybe get to revel in those moments one more time with me. And uh, I'm not... I'm not associated with that site anymore. Don't make any money from the traffic or anything. It's just a case of, you know, let's just get to enjoy how important Fedor was in his prime. Because what we saw this weekend and what we've been seeing for a while, yeah, that's not Fedor Minenko that I know and love. That's not why we love him. But then, moment of the year in the last, not this uh, awards, but the first ever awards in Combat Chronicles went to Fedor when he smashed Tim Johnson because there's something about Fedor. It's just so important to an integral uh, moment in mixed martial arts history. So, yeah, it's fandom, it's it's bias, it's love, but also there's just there's a reason for that. And there was a time where, you know, when was the last time the heavyweight champion was the best pound of pound fighter in the world? But I really do think that the best fighter that we ever saw, he was the best pound of pound fighter in the world. He was one of the best mixed martial artists I've ever seen. Even given the fact we're, you know, we're approaching well, approaching twenty years now since his absolute pinnacle. Um Man, it's just sad about that guy. And shame to see him go out. It's quite weird, actually. So he only had seven. I would have swore he had more than seven losses in total. But uh, 40 wins, 16 knockouts, 15 submissions, only uh, nine decision wins in you know, 20 odd years of competition. That shows you what a finisher he was. Seven losses, six knockouts, one submission, famously for Doom. That's one guard didn't want to leap into, but that's who Fedor was. But certainly, let's not. Always looking to the past, as the president of MMA is still absolutely fucking stonking. Biggest fight of the year coming up this weekend, and uh, I'm not going to be able to watch it live, but I can certainly preview it for you guys after this. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. UFC 284. Islam Makachev, lightweight champion, 155 pounds, fighting Alexander Volkanovsky, the featherweight champion, 145 pounds, for the former's 155 pound lightweight championship. That was a mouthful, and I could have explained that better, but alas, here we are. What an absolute banger of a fight this is, and there's lots to talk about because it might not be a banger of a fight, it might be absolutely fucking horrible to watch. I guess it all comes down to do you actually think that it's a winnable fight for Volkanovsky? Because you know, you've got to praise him for going for it. Um, you know, he's a significantly smaller guy, he looks it, that's a non-nuanced way of looking at it, which is, you know, Makachev is a very stifling uh, top grappler, and essentially he's a lot, lot bigger than Volkanovski, he's going to be, he looks like in in the lead-up when they stood next to each other, I thought, yeah, you know, Volkanovski won't be too small, but, you know, he's not the tallest, he's a stocky, strong little 145-pounder, not the tallest guy, um, again, as I said, the height ain't everything, but... Not the tallest guy. A lot of people say, well, he used to be 220 pounds. He's a big fella. Makachev will be cutting from probably 185, 190, I imagine. Or, you know, coming down from that sort of weight. He's going to be massive on the night. He looks pretty darn big at lightweight against lightweights. If you consider uh, another former 145-pounder, but a guy that always struggled to make it in Oliveira, the sort of width difference was really obvious to see. It was a really discernible difference. And there were certain threats that we thought Oliveira had going into that fight that just didn't really play out for him. Um, that Volkanovski doesn't really show. Uh, he's not. He's a very scrambly guy, but he's not really. Uh, he's got no danger whatsoever from the bottom. It could be uh, a case of you know he needs to survive. He needs to. He needs to survive, but can he thrive? And it might well be a fight. It, it, it can go one of three ways, in my opinion. Makachev blankets him for five rounds. Makachev blankets him and actually fucking pulverizes him and taps him or, or batters him. Just too big. Uh, or third, Volkanovski is able to counter what Makachev does well, and he's so much better at what he does well, he can win. So it's either depressing, really depressing, or amazing, depending on who you're a fan of. But I think, you know, we're looking at great fighters. It'd be great to see Volkanovski win a title in a second weight class, and being a smaller guy and a fighting champion, be excellent to see him uh, overcome a style, which is not proven impossible to beat, but nowadays, in terms of the current MMA matter, I think people kind of see that, you know, the whole, uh, I guess, you know, Caucasus wrestler, Russian style, uh, it's kind of, you know, a lot of wrist rides and uh, dangerous sort of top grappling followed by pulverising 
ground and pound is kind of the meta, which is it's not the full meta of current MMA, but certainly in terms of styles which seem impervious to other styles, it's probably the closest we've seen. Certainly a lightweight, you know. There are obviously exceptions to the rule. Um, we see people getting banged out left, right and centre all the time. It's not like Makachev hasn't been beaten, but certainly in terms of, you know, if we see the guys that are top guys at lightweight that have smashed all the other guys at lightweight, you know, no one's really come close to Habib and Makachev in recent times. And, uh, you know, given the fact that Oliveira dust, dusted off of um, Habib's opponents uh, so easily, you thought, oh, here we go, here's a change. And then they just go, here's another guy. And just... Uh, gets absolutely rinsed ASAP and suddenly doesn't look like one of the greatest lightweights of all time that he did in that amazing prime run. Styles make fights, but these guys, they know what they're doing. They're dangerous to fight. They're horrible to fight. And they're just, you know, they're, they're able to maximise their strengths really, really well. The question is, can Volkanovski minimise what Makachev does well? And, you know, I'm no grappling expert, you know, just sort of looking at, you know, I'll just kind of look at what they've done in other fights and you know, in terms of breaking it down in, in terms of you know the X's nose of the grappling not great at that I'll just look at how other guys have competed that's how I sort of judge the grappling I'm not that great in that regard you guys know that I'm always the first to admit it um, but you know I look at other guys who have managed to wrestle Volkanovski and I see guys that have managed to counteract what Makachev does and I just don't see that Volkanovski can really do anything I mean there are people writing about it in far more detail than I am. If you check out uh, Miguel Class on, on Twitter, I've shared his thread and a mate of mine, uh, Twitter account, if you're not sure, it's a mate called William, but the account's called Good Bad Well, at Good Bad Well, uh, Jiu Jitsu Black Belt, and you know, he's, he's broken this down with a fantastic article called Just Stand Up What Alexander Volkanovsky Has to Do Beat Is uh, Makachev. And with Makachev, you know, He's not Habib. That was my observation already. Habib is a shark. You know, he just grabbed all the uh, immense athlete, would just take no qualms whatsoever, grabbing you uh, in the most minimal chance possible. He's on top of you, he's tapping you, it's over. Makachev, you know, he does take his time. He would prefer to ride you out. He would prefer for you to make a mistake. Um, that's what's really brilliantly encapsulated in this article, which says, you know, Volkanovski can... By keep moving, you know, and elevate Makachev whenever he can, you know, not give him any second to think. He can actually start tiring him out and actually potentially put himself in a better chance to succeed. Now, on the feet, which I am more comfortable analysing, it's a wash in my opinion. Makachev is awkward and has improved in some regard, but he is still quite basic. He is quite sloppy. Now, as I've said many times on this uh, podcast, awkward. Uh, Unorthodox opponents can actually create uh, havoc for uh, sort of textbook strikers. Now, I would say that was a real thing that could give uh, Volkanovski issues, but we've seen Volkanovski adapt to Holloway, uh, changing levels on him and, and changing tempo of shots and catching him off guard. He's now figured that out. Makachev's just going to ball rush in. That's what he does. He creates collisions, he creates chaos, and then tries to catch you in a grappling situation and get you down. You know... Volkanovski in terms of pivoting out and walking him in the shots that's his domain he's going to be able to dominate in that regard the, it really is a stylistic clash of can Volkanovski do that enough and I don't think he can I really do think regardless of these uh, sharper astute grappling minds pointing out that Volkanovski actually has a legitimate chance to to uh, cause Makachev problems and is and definitely he's got the IQ but I just I say it's not too nuanced but I think Makachev's just too big 
I think it's a hard style for most people to uh, overcome outside of clobbering him with a big shot. And there's another inherent problem for Volkanovski. He's not a big puncher, um, not a big striker. Now, of course, tainted a little bit by the fact that we've mainly seen him fight you know, a guy that probably has got the greatest chin in the history of mixed martial arts, Max Holloway. Make anyone not look like a big banger. But also it took a lot of artillery to get someone like Korean Zombie, who's past his best. Um, certainly in terms of Volkanovski is on top of guys, he can rain down, he's a massive banger. Um, don't think he's really going to get in those sort of positions against Makachev. But, you know, can Volkanovski sweep? Can he keep Makachev moving? Can he keep him guessing? Can he make Makachev fight in a way that he doesn't want to? Habib l- loves a scramble. Any opportunity whatsoever, he's going to grab Oldia, he's going to grab a neck, he's going to grab an arm. Um, just constantly advance the position. Makachev, not so much in that regard. So, Volkanovski's got to keep moving and got to hope that in doing that, he doesn't get tired. I mean, we know Volk's got an amazing gas tank, we do. But that's when he gets to dictate fights on his terms, usually. Um, I do think that. I just think Makachev's too big. Is that. Sorry, do I like nuance? Is that not analysis? It's not really. It's kind of the equivalent to saying, well, I punch his chance. But based on what I've seen, you look at, say, the Brian... I'm trying to think of a, an example here. You look at the terrible positions Volkanovski was in against Brian Ortega, but just feel Ortega's a little bit flakier, really. Just, it feels like a flakier fighter to me than Makachev does. Um, there is absolutely a chance that once things don't start going Makachev's way, he starts to fall to bits. There is a chance. Um, there are fights where I don't think he, he's looked quite as good. This run of uh, stoppages, after stoppage after stoppage after stoppage is, is is not them. So I really just don't see how Volkanovski is going to do it. I don't think he's going to get you know whomped, but I do think Makachev will win a wide decision with a couple of ten eights in there. And I just don't think Volkanovski is going to do what he does enough. And I think in those moments that he does, he's going to struggle to really gain Makachev's respect. I mean, it's basically like a decent size, one hundred and forty five pounder fighting a. An okay-sized 170-pounder. I think that's important. Although, you know, we always have, like, say, Patricio Pitbull banging out Michael Chandler as an example. You know, Chandler has faced bigger punches and survived. Pitbull is basically a guy who can cut to bantamweight, fighting a guy who would be fine at 170 or certainly a a strong 155-pounder. So let's not act like there's no precedence for it whatsoever. Volk could lead Makachev into a shot. And, uh, and 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 catch him with something good and bang him out. As I say, it's not like he doesn't hit at all. I just don't think he's a. If he was an actual like, genuine knockout punch at one forty five, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, he can walk him in at saying he's got a chance. But I just think the percentages of be able to maintain what Volk does well, minimise what Makachev does well, and uh, essentially that, you know, I don't think Volk can do what he does well for long enough, and I think he's gonna struggle to stop Makachev doing what he does uh, well for long enough. It really is as simple as that. But, you know, um, you know, given the fact that Makachev was it with a flash knockdown from Martins all those years ago uh, and, you know, knockout or not, you know, he got he got caught staggering in, dropped on his ass, it got st- flat on his back, stopped quickly. Um, whether you think it was fair or not, I just don't think that's that's not cause for me to go, well, you know, Volk could catch him. Again, you know, puncher's chance is... I would say Punch's chance is less of a is even less of analysis than he's too big, he's too strong. Um, but I just I could see Makachev just sort of with the wrist rides and that and just putting Volk in horrible situations. I've seen it recently. If we saw the Bader fade on Mihenko, 
uh, Trayvon Coker was on the podcast the other week. He suffered it in his fight. It's just a fucking horrible position to be in. And I just think that Volk's going to struggle to move um, even with his hips and even with how scrambly he is and even how just how well prepared he is. And the fact that I think he is a better fighter than Makachev in a pound-for-pound sense and just in, in terms of all-round skill set sense, I think Volkanovski is actually... I spoke about Fedor earlier about this sort of essence that he had as a fighter, this aura he had as a fighter. I think Volkanovski's got it. I think Volkanovski's the most complete fighter I've ever seen in the history of mixed martial arts. Now... Make myself look a cunt because I've probably said that at Piotr Jan at one point, but you know, in subsequent uh, fights, maybe he hasn't got the IQ I would have hoped uh, for that skill set. Volkanovski's got the IQ, you know. That's what Volk's got. He's got the whole the all round skill set plus the fact he's a fucking genius in the cage. But you know, I just don't think it's a good stylistic matchup for him. If he wins, he's the greatest of all time without a shadow of a doubt. With a good performance and you know a close one, he can make that claim too. I think he's already up there in terms of... I think he's the greatest 145-pounder now. I'm willing to say that, even over Jose Aldo. and People won't consider that blasphemous, but pretty much agree it. Aldo's still higher as a pound-for-pound fighter due to his uh, second career at 135. Going off on a tangent again, guys, but that's what we do here. But for me, I just don't see Volkanovski doing it. I just... Maybe it's not even saying this hedging. It really is genuinely like I look at them and I go, I'm glad they're making it. I think it's an interesting fight to make as a, as a pound for pound super fight between two champions. I think certainly Makachev being a more dominant champion would make it more uh, feasible. I mean Dana White didn't remember his name the other day. I think that he's not really outside of a small contingent of fans, not really caught on yet. It's not the same as say if, if, if Oliveira had beaten him. Suddenly, you've got this mainstay of the UFC, guys beating Gaethje, Poirier, and Makachev, fighting a guy and a bit closer in terms of weight, where Oliveira used to fight 145s. Then, Volkanovski Oliveira, that's the fucking fight. That's a big, huge fight. But, you know, at the end of the day, Makachev beat him, beat him well. Clearly, the best 155 pound in the world right now, outside of someone random coming over from ACA and, and, and battering him. Uh, he's clearly the best 155 pound in the world. He hasn't got the resume to back it up. He just beat the number one in the division. He's the heir apparent to the greatest lightweight of all time in Habib Nurmagomedov, who won't be in his corner, which might be a deciding factor. Let's see. I would think that Habib's pretty confident knowing that he doesn't uh, have to be there. Otherwise, he would have made one last appearance. But, yeah, for me, you know, Makachev will be fine. And I think Volkanovski's going to be... He's won the uphill battle. Size is important when it's a massive 155-pounder versus a... You know, a good size, 145-pounder. I don't think necessarily that suddenly liberating himself of a weight cut is going to make Volk hit harder. And, you know, I don't think he's necessarily going to be that much faster than Makachev that makes that much of a difference. I think his craft is super important. It really is as simple as, I don't think he'll be able to do what he needs to be able to do. It's really as simple as that. If you want to read more nuanced discussion on the, uh, the grappling side of things, which I found really useful in, in making my prediction, only really backed up. Um, what I already thought. Um, as I say, I've, I'll drop them uh, links in the comments on this description. Make your own mind up. But one thing's for sure, I will be returning uh, to the podcast, to the Patreon podcast, with all my thoughts on that card, because there's a couple of bangers on that. Pretty shit card overall, but there's a couple of really intriguing fights on there. Uh, I'll be dropping out of the Patreon uh, Sunday evening. Um, I'm away this weekend, but I will get back, watch the fights. Sadly, can't watch it live, which is crazy, considering... We're running a Combat Chronicles uh, podcast over here, but the fact of the matter is, you know, sometimes you just got to have a life, and uh, I end up missing. It's crazy. I'm away for this one, and I'm away for fucking Edwards Usman 3 as well. Like, 
I never do anything. Suddenly, I start having a life and I'm missing the biggest cards of the year. Didn't do fuck all when Derek Lewis fought fucking Spivak. But, you know, when the biggest fight of the year is taking place, I'm nowhere to be seen. But I'll get back as soon as I can. I'll watch the fights and upload them to the Patreon. My thoughts uh, this Sunday. I'm pretty sure that the Volk Makachev fight is going to be pretty depressing. As a Volkanovski fan, don't dislike Islam by any, by any means. I think he's an interesting fighter. He's impre- improved me with, uh, sorry, he's impressed me with his improvements and a legitimate champ. And people afterwards go, ah, oh, Volk's too small. And no, this will be a fucking serious, legit win to beat the best pound for pound fighter in the sport. Wait, be damned. So if you want to hear my thoughts on that, check out the Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Combat Chronicles. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.